0: Hello, this is Dr. Nancy O'Reilly, and I would like to welcome you to Smart Amazing Conversations with Dr. Nancy, a podcast that takes a look at stories of life and leadership for smart, amazing women and men like you. The most important thing is showing up. Don't think that you have to bring anything, bring yourself, show up and and remain steadfast and be a... If you
1: are in a position of leadership and a position of management, Bring women along with you.
0: Supporting women is my passion and my purpose, and talking with other women and men who promote women's leadership is one of my favorite things to do.
1: I've yet to meet a woman who did not know what she really wanted. She was just either afraid to ask the questions or she was afraid of what the answers meant.
0: Their stories connect us and help us to understand that the possibilities are endless if we support each other and lift other women up. Trust is created by persistent identity. I show up as myself time and time and time again, and trust is built. It's one conversation at a time. Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy O'Reilly, and I'm happy to welcome Michelle Lee to Smart Amazing Conversations with Dr. Nancy. Michelle Lee is an award-winning veteran journalist and philanthropic person who currently is working as a news anchor in St. Louis, Missouri. Michelle co-launched the Very Asian Global Movement of Unity with her friend and fellow journalist. is it Jia Yang? Vang, Jia Vang. Mm -hmm. Jia Vang, oh, sorry about that. Jia Vang, and uh, after receiving a racist voicemail uh, to sharing online the Korean food she ate to celebrate New Year's in January of 2022, her response caught the attention of The Ellen Show. Ellen's gift of $15,000 helped start the seed money to create a social profit organization focused on shining the light on Asian life through advocacy and celebration. As a result, the Very Asian Foundation raised tens of thousands of dollars, and now the social profit is in its first 100 days and it has launched a national awareness campaign called May Book Project to help schools and libraries build and maintain robust Asian-American youth literature collections for all readers. Because she is a Korean adoptee, Michelle spent many years supporting other adoptees through heritage camps and volunteer tours to Korea. She has launched a program to support Missouri children to foster care, This work has led to Congressional Award in 2010. Michelle's reporting has been honored with a National Peabody Award, four national murals, and multiple regional Emmys, often for covering topics related to race or gender inequities. She has appeared on CNN, NBC, CBS, ABC, and the Washington Post. and (laughs) She is releasing a children's book with glue, is it glue? I'm not good at pronouncing it. (laughs) Glue, yeah, G-L-O-O, yeah. G-L-O-O books this fall called A Very Asian Guide to Korean Food, the first in a series of books to introduce young readers and adults to the delicious world of Korean food. Mm -hmm. So I'm very pleased to have Michelle Lee. Thank you for being with me. I can't wait to talk about this topic. And I love Korean food, by the way. Oh, you do? Oh, great. Absolutely. (laughs) Springfield, Missouri, and you've been in the Southwest. Springfield, Missouri has some great Korean restaurants.
1: Mm -hmm. Do you have a favorite one? Uh,
0: you know, I'm not I'm in and out of Springfield quite a quite a bit. I'm living in California now, but there are some good Korean restaurants in Springfield, Missouri. So <laughs> go, there, go there and try the food. But uh, this is this is an interesting topic because you know, and and my my background is in, in gender equity and in inequities as well. So diversity and inclusion is a huge piece of what Women Connect for Good is all about. And so when I when we we heard about your situation, and of course. Fun, this new foundation. It was we had to jump right on board. We had, <laughs> we had to get on board. But let's t- talk about your personal story because you know you, your background, of course, and being an adopted uh, Korean, and this is this is very valuable in itself. Well, let me let me say one thing first because I just did a pod. I just did a, a video before I started with your uh, conversation today. It's about we are all immigrants in this country. And we forget that in the United States, that every one of us is an immigrant. Probably the only true Americans, if you want to call them Americans, were the the Indians. Mm -hmm. And even they migrated from other parts of the world. So we are all immigrants. And I think sometimes we forget that. So I just want to bring that up real quickly. I'm an immigrant. You're an immigrant. We've all come from other places. So I've got Irish blood, Scottish blood, and I've got some probably a little Indian blood in me, too. So... All right, let's hear your
1: story. How'd you get to be who you are today? Well, I I was born in Korea, so I am documented uh, immigrant and came here um, when I was about six months old. And moved um, as an adoptee to Missouri. And that's where I grew up. So, I grew up in a pretty rural area in Missouri, just outside of Kansas City. And then ended up going to the University of Kansas, um, getting my first news job in North Carolina, and spent eight years in Springfield, Missouri. So, I know it really well. And then went back to North Carolina, moved to Madison, Wisconsin, spent some time in Seattle, Washington. And that's where I had my son. Um, and then my family uh, moved back to Missouri during the pandemic, and now we live in St. Louis. Well, here you're doing a broadcast
0: on January uh, the first of January, talking about different foods. Actually, I listened to the broadcast and and listened to the to your uh, broadcast, and I. I didn't even know about foods like that, so I, I was going to like pork. I didn't know pork meant pro, you know with yeah, right, right. You know, but, but anyway, talk about really how this began because this is really one of those things that something came, something good came from something not so good.
1: Sure. So I was working on New Year's Day and we just did one of those stories that, you know, I would call a throwaway story. You know, my news director probably wouldn't want me to call it a throwaway story, but, uh, you know, it was like 20 seconds of, hey, this is um, what Americans eat on New Year's Day. And it was pork for progress, greens for wealth, I think cornbread for coins. And it was just interesting because I was actually thinking like, where did this come from? Like, where did this story come from? You know, Americans eat what? And also, because growing up in Missouri as an American kid, you know, I didn't eat that stuff on New Year's Day. Like, we just didn't have any New Year's traditions. Now, when I lived in North Carolina, that's when I actually, so when I was like 21, you know, or 22, moved to North Carolina, we had like, you know, uh, what is it, Hoppin' and Johns and, you know, collards and pulled pork and all those things for New Year's Day. But that was not the tradition I grew up with. So anyway, I actually, that morning, I had been looking through my Instagram feed and just saw like all my friends, um, you know, celebrating New Year's or New Year's Eve, you know, the night before. And so many of my friends who are like in Missouri and are Korean were eating, you uh, which is um, rice cake soup. And so a lot of people put uh, mandu in it or potstickers or dumplings. And so, um, and that's how I eat mine too. So I had um, some some dumpling, you know, rice cake soup for New Year's Day. And I just thought like, you know what, I, I think I'm just going to add a line that said like, oh, just, hey, can I add lib for a second? And my Producer said, yes. And I usually don't even ask to ad lib, but I just didn't want her to advance to the next story because it was kind of a serious story, I think. So I said, hey, can I just ad lib for a second? My producer said, sure. So I said, hey, um, at the end of that story, I said, I had dumpling soup because that's what a lot of Korean people do. That was it. It was <laughs> just one sentence, you know. I'm at living with myself because there's nobody there, cause it's the skeleton crew on New Year's Day. And um, it was interesting because the whole story was like 20 seconds long, and I had a couple of really nice comments, which I thought was um unique, I guess, because I was like, Who's watching on New Year's Day and who takes the time to to be touched by a 20-second story? But like one guy I and specifically, remember, he said, hey, thanks for mentioning that soup because my wife grew up in Korea and our daughter is making that soup for the first time. So I thought, oh, that's so cool. It became like this really inclusive moment for nothing, you know, for a nothing story. And then um, I got a voicemail uh, like a couple hours later or that yeah. came through a couple hours later.
0: Well, you know, some of the things that they said were really very, very uh, very they were abusive. they were they were really uncalled for. they what was it um, being uh, Asian thinking, keeping her Korean keep her Korean to herself. I mean, yeah. you know I, I don't understand people. I really when when you hear this kind of thing, you just really it really does need to be called out because we just can't have that kind of behavior for for any of us, you know and and again we my last book is called "We're in this Together," and we really mm-hmm. are so I think it's and diversity and diversity and inclusion we are all diverse, and so we have to figure out ways to be inclusive as well. This is this to me is so important is that we keep talking about if you know really when you talk about inequity you really talk about the lack of diversity and the lack of inclusion and so all right now you this is what positive has come from <laughs> something good has come from something that was not so good which yeah. is that's the most important part of this this conversation is that you then developed the very Asian foundation <laughs> which I think is so appropriate you know i i have certain you know my scottish background and my irish background you know there are certain things that you can go yeah and these are what these people did and i'm you know and so forth but again we don't really understand that much about each other and we don't take the time to really ask about each other so the very asian foundation what are the what is the guiding principle and the mission of this foundation
1: well, the Very Asian Foundation, like you kind of mentioned in the beginning, shines a light on Asian experiences through advocacy and celebration. So it really just stemmed from that moment. Um, that woman, when she called, the voicemail um, was really offensive. It said, you know, she said, I'm just offended that Michelle was talking about what white um, uh What did she say? She said, I'm just kind of offended because you need to talk about what white people eat on New Year's Day, because if white people talked about what white people eat, they would be fired. And I'm just kind of annoyed because Michelle's being very Asian and she needs to keep her Korean to herself and talk about what white people eat. So very Asian itself became trending globally. It was crazy. Like I just shared myself listening to the voicemail and then it went crazy viral. And so, um, people started using the hashtag very Asian to share like their family pictures, their cultural traditions, their multicultural traditions and backgrounds. And I had people who said, you know, like as an adoptee, I've never seen another adoptee get to lead an Asian conversation. So this is amazing. Or, you know, I never felt like I could be, um, a part of a discussion because I'm only half Asian or a quarter Japanese or something like that. And I always say, you know, especially because I'm raising a son of mixed race, I always, you know, really want to change the conversation and maybe I'm not the person to do it, but I, um, cause people can call themselves whatever they want, but like, I really don't like describing my child in fractions. and all the work that I've done just in trying to be a better parent is, you know, when you look at children who are of mixed race, sometimes they'll say, well, I only felt like I could be half this and half that. And I wanted to be a full person. And so I really say like, you know, we have variations of being very Asian, you know, and um, we have this experience as being, you know, Asian in America and Asian American. So when we went viral, we raised money for the Asian American Journalists Association, which really keeps tabs on a lot of bad headlines, you know, fights for equity in newsrooms, really impacts like everyone who reads journalism, who consumes journalism. Right. And so when we formed the foundation, we formed the Very Asian Foundation with the intent to shine a light on Asian experiences because shining a light is what journalism, you know, is all about. And then we kept it to Asian experiences because we had people all around the world, like from Germany, Holland, China, you know, like Korea, Australia, Canada, I mean, seriously, people who bought like these very Asian shirts that we made. Um, So we wanted to keep it as Asian experiences, not Asian American, because we could be Asian Canadian, Asian, you know, Australian. And through advocacy, obviously, you know, just to advocate for our full humanity, but celebration, because we believe that we have a right to celebrate who we are. And Because so many people for a moment in time were celebrating being very Asian, that it was like celebration has to be a part of our mission too. So, you know, it's like highlighting stories, highlighting experiences, and then also finding good and being positive because the last two and a half years or so have really been hard um, for people in the Asian American community. I think a lot of rhetoric was um, harmful. and we saw, you know, in the pandemic, people using harmful language. Um, you know, we've seen attacks on on Asian American communities. And so we really felt like, you know, for two and a half years, people have used, you know, hashtags in defense of us, like, please stop hurting us, stop AAPI hate, stop Asian hate. And for one moment in time, we said, hey, we're happy and celebrating being very Asian. So we always want to have celebration in in our messaging. Yeah. Where do you think
0: it comes from? I know, you know, I think about people when when they attack someone else, it's usually because they're hurting themselves. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Threatened or they feel uncomfortable. I'm a psychologist. So, you know, typically when we attack someone else, we feel threatened or we feel devalued or we feel in some ways that something's going to be taken from us. So where where do you think it came from that uh, people were, again, attacking the Asian uh, community?
1: Well, I think, you know, a lot of it had to do with where the believed origin of coronavirus started, you know, and the oh. political rhetoric was really terrible, you know. And, you know, I, I always try to avoid politics as a journalist um, in the sense of like where what I'm saying. But, you know, it is harmful to use words like China virus and Kung flu and to give people permission to just – walk up to people and be and say things that people said to people you know I mean I've interviewed so many children like children who said adults would stop them in the grocery store and say you're the reason that we've got oh, China virus really and I I believe these kids you know and even in Texas there was a young person a young um, a family but like kid who was uh, stabbed in the face with a knife because someone said you're you're the reason we have Coronavirus, so I feel like people were really emboldened and um, and angry at the at Asian people, and you know, and it was unfair and harmful. You know, I I think people think oh they're just words, but you know we know that words matter, and we know that some people go beyond rhetoric and take things into action, and and it's scary. It's really scary.
0: Wow, for me, COVID with the whole the whole virus really it came down to one thing and one thing else, relationships yeah you know the important people in my life that i wanted to continue to have a relationship with but yeah I, there was the pandemic you know i mean there the, people called it the pandemic i mean there's been so much confusion being being in the media Of course, you know, one of the things I always say, don't believe everything you see, hear or read. And Mm -hmm. so this is important, again, for you to have this foundation and to clarify and to put information out there that is positive that really does make a difference. So, so what kinds of things have happened pos- in, in the positive realm mm-hmm. this the foundation was created?
1: Well, we created the May Book Project in May. And really because May is Asian American Heritage Month. And so Asian American Pacific Islander, <laughs> Native Hawaiian, you know, uh, Heritage Month. And, you know, we really want to celebrate who we are. And so, we launched the May Book Project as a response. I think a very journalistic response because there there was a problem that came to our attention in January when we went viral. And so, basically, some St. Louis students—they are in a civics group together. They go to various different high schools, and in 2021, they actually um, went to their schools. And they created an Asian American Pacific Islander um, or what they called an AAPI book list. And they gave it to about 10 schools and during the month of May. So like our heritage month. Right. Um, And they said, we would really love it if you would participate and, you know, buy some new books for our libraries and out of all of those schools about 10 were contacted and none of them responded so the students when I went viral um we were holding a panel a student panel and it was um, St. Louis students some students from California dear Asian American youth and then make us visible New Jersey so we had new, we had Coast to coast in the Midwest and these students were talking about this book list that they had created in Missouri and then there was an overall discussion on how many, Kids. How many young people felt invisible in their schools and how that made them feel with the um, dual existence of being hyper visible in their communities. So what I just said, like, you know, being able to like walk out into the grocery store and have an adult say, you're the reason coronavirus is here. Um, How damaging that is to be unseen in the spot that you should be seen, you know, like students should be seen at schools, and then be not being able to go to your neighborhood grocery store. And some of these students had some very um, scary experiences, like, um, you know, people getting in their face and stuff in the public. And so then we started talking about mental health and what that was doing to their mental health. And um, we had some side chats going and some students confided in us that they or their friends had created suicide plans during the pandemic. And, you know, fast forward, like I think it was like May or June, the CDC came out and said, well, now suicide is the number one cause of death in Asian American youth and it is the only category that that's the number one cause of death. So we know how hard it's been on Asian American youth. And so, and I also feel like if a, if a young person is telling you something or any person is telling you something, you got to listen. You know, if someone is brave enough at 16 or 17 to tell you that they or their friends have made suicide plans, yeah. you got to listen to them. So yeah. I said, so this is a long story into the book project, but I said, you know, <laughs> this is what's coming. Right? <laughs> well. I- <laughs> I said, you know, we can't help you necessarily with I don't I I don't know anything about mental health resources for young people, but we can certainly look at that. But I think the most immediate thing that we can do is get a book list in schools. My goodness. So, they gave me their book list and then I realized, well, I'm not an expert. So, I went to a scholar, a national scholar, so a PhD, you know, who's got a or a woman who's got a PhD in in children's literature and other things. Um, And so she convened like six or seven other scholars around the country, and they built this book list that's about 200 plus books long from early readers to adult crossover. And they also convened other groups like We Need Diverse Books, uh, the Asian Pacific American Librarians Association, the Asian Authors Alliance. And not only did they create this really high quality vetted book list, they also um, created a rubric so that librarians have an academic approach to building diverse libraries and getting... You know, like certain things out of the mix. Like you want to make sure that Asian, your Asian collection is not just folklore because people need to see themselves in, you know, beyond sure. a mythical sense. Yeah. And so much of Asian, you know, collections are folklore or festivals or food or fashion, you know, so they're like five F's, I think. And, and so, um, you know we just want protagonists who happen to be asian and um on top of that you know like even like illustrations with slanted eyes you know those are outdated so they're time to get those out and you know our scholars made some really tr- uh tough decisions in terms of like their picks and i think that's that's great because from a journalistic perspective too that means that they weren't you know they couldn't be persuaded by publishers or you know or whoever right. and so they created this list and then you know, we were really proud that in Missouri, when we pitched the list and we, get, you know, put it out in May, that we had um, support from the Missouri State Librarian, who then said that they would pass it out to all the library districts in Missouri. And, you know, it's a tough time to be a librarian. It's a tough time to be an educator because there are book bans. And because, you know, there's a lot of discussion around diversity and critical race theory, which this is not, by the way, this is just access to Asian American youth literature. Right. But, you know, like we were really careful about how we were curating this list. And so we're really proud to say that it is a vetted list. It is a high quality list and it gives people choice. You know, if you've got 50 books on a list, you know, on one particular list and we're not asking you to buy all 50, but we would certainly love it if you did. But, you know, to have buy-in so that people can see themselves in schools and also learn about other people as well. I think that's really important when we talk about literature and education.
0: Yeah. Well, we want to be around like-minded people. That's just Simple. So the the suicide in the Asian uh, teenage population. Have you do you, have you seen any? Uh, uh, of course, if you can report changes and and ways that it's been more positive in that that area. Have you seen some things that have changed and some something that you can report and say, this is what has happened since we've started this book project? This is what what has happened since we've started this sure. aging Foundation? Because I think those are the things that we really need to let the public know that, yeah, you're making an impact. But again, I, I think that the, the thing that's also really positive is that it really does touch other other populations and other diverse populations as well, as far Mm -hmm. as the need to do exactly what you're doing, which is creating, you know, ways to celebrate yourself and to have pride. Mm -hmm. So have you seen changes that you could, uh, because accountability and reporting is so important.
1: Oh, absolutely. And, you know, these are all conversational things because we just launched, you know, in May and here we are in September, Um, you know, in terms of like getting schools involved, I mean, the schools who don't even have Asian American leaders are like, oh my gosh, we love this. Thank you. Because a lot of times, you know, basically we've just offered a free resource to to schools or to community libraries. So I think people are grateful for that. In terms of students, the students that we've talked to, I think they feel really empowered and emboldened to just be proud of who they are, you know, just to be able to say like, thank you for seeing us. Thank you for giving us more confidence to us to see ourselves. And so we have like May book project ambassadors, student ambassadors who are going to their schools and saying, we would really like you to consider buying some books. Or um we've got some students who want who are doing book drives right now. So I feel really proud of that. And um, you know, we have like some corporate sponsors who are saying you know, we believe in this work. Uh, we have a really big corporate sponsor in Asutra, which is a self-care brand owned by a woman named Stephanie Morimoto, as well as Venus Williams. And so everyone knows Venus, right? Um, and so of I love course. this because it's intersectionality, um, strong women, people who believe in self-care. Um, and they've given us a really wonderful donation that will seriously bring in thousands, tens of thousands of books to um, to schools across the country. And so, you know, it's just this idea of like, um, you know, trailblazers in literature say, you know, Rudine uh Sims Bishop, you know, for example, says, okay, you've well, got to be able to see yourself and see others.
0: Yeah. I, I'm uh, joining the board of the National Women's History Museum. And one of the things are, are, are so important is storytelling. Yeah. And the stories that we can learn about people that are in our histories You know, Hidden Figures is a very good example of Mm -hmm. women that we finally learned in history. Which basically, we may not even had a space program or even computers if it wasn't for these wonderful women of color, right? Who basically ran the space program. (laughs) So, so again, I think this is the this is the opportunity, especially for the Asian community, Mm -hmm. is there's the storytelling. And, and talking about the celebration and the things that the people who have made a difference. And you're going to be one of those storytellers. You're going to be <laughs> one of those important people. So, child, congratulations. I'm so so happy this happened to you because good things have come from something that's not so good. So, Oh, my goodness. Thank how, you. How can we learn more about you, your foundation? And, of course, Women Connect for Good, what we do is we collaborate. We're a connector and we're a collaborator. That's what we do. And we lift women up.
1: I love
0: it. We lift people up. We lift one, if we lift one person at a time, we lift ourselves as well. So yeah, yeah, we've been lifting lots and lots of people and I congratulate that, congratulate you there. And we would love for you to join our campaign. But yes,
1: yeah, absolutely.
0: That we can collaborate and connect with your foundation. We want to help. So where do they go? And and of course, money is always welcomed by everybody. <laughs>
1: yeah, it is. We I, will take your money.
0: <laughs> I have a couple of those myself. So money is. So we need operational dollars, but again, the media is so important, and we need good news out there. We need yeah. good news. So this is great news. So. Where do we find you and, and more about the foundation? Uh,
1: thank you for asking and thank you so much for the connection. We would love to be connected to you, obviously. Um, VariationFoundation.org dot is where you can find us. Um, and I would say in general, we are most active. it seems like on Instagram <laughs> uh, if you're ever if you're on that social media platform. Yeah, that seems
0: to be the the place to go. Facebook is uh, not quite as active, but Instagram is definitely where we get a lot of uh, a lot of uh, comments and questions and and also interest. So yeah, without... we're on
1: TikTok too, but I mean, it's not as we're, we're not as hip uh, for the TikTok. I don't think.
0: <laughs> well,
1: you're not yet. Let's
0: put it that way.
1: You're not yet.
0: My guess is that uh, you are going to be on every media uh, platform and be extremely successful. So congratulations, and like. you said, we, when I speak with someone, have a conversation, it's just not a one-time thing. It's what it's a way to connect and a way to continue the good works and to make this world a better place because of things like what you're doing and the kind of person you are. So wow. thank you for being you. I bet, <laughs> I bet your son is so proud of his mother and his mommy. And, uh, <laughs> I think it's absolutely wonderful. So uh, I'm, not, I'm going to say goodbye for now, but let's stay in touch. And if there's ways that we can continue to help you, uh, reach out and we'll find some other ways. I'll have Michelle, uh, my, my uh, team leader, contact you in ways that we can help you as well, because Thank that's you. important, ways that we can help.
1: Great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Dr. Nancy. Really appreciate your time and just this opportunity.
0: Well, have a, have, have a great one. And uh, yes. We will be in touch. So thanks again and congratulations.
1: Thank you. Have a great day.
0: Thank you. Bye-bye. If you enjoy these smart, amazing conversations, please subscribe, rate, and review them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And read and enjoy more amazing stories in my books, In This Together, How Successful Women Support Each Other in Work and Life, and Leading Women. 20 influential women share their secrets to leadership, business, and life. Thank you for listening.